Thank you, Jim. So Jim and I and uh, a team, we went to Lebanon almost nine years ago now. Jim had organized it and led it. And he does a great job of doing things like that. And it's always fun because he's got so many stories of years worth of uh, missionary travel as well as uh, just following the Lord and his voice as he was mentioning. And uh, there's a winsomeness that Jim has that has been tested over the course of, of years of, of you know, faith and faithful journeys with Jesus along with Tish. And so anytime you get a chance to hang out with Jim, it's a treat. Uh, there's, there's instant joy just in his personality and, and uh, integrity, of course, in his voice. And uh, while we were there in Lebanon, uh, we had flown over and I was asked to preach at the church that we were supporting. And uh, as we were walking in to the, uh, the church, there was a, uh, a man that had a cast uh, on his left leg that probably came up to mid-thigh. And uh, as we were walking, I just felt led to pray for the guy. And, and, uh, and so we had an interpreter and I, I went to the man and said, hey, what's, what's going on with your leg? And we were translating through you know, the Arabic language, and, and, uh, and he said, well, you know, I've got a broken leg. I said, well, can I, can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, sure. And, uh, and, and prayed, it was just a simple prayer, you know, power of God, come upon this man and heal his leg. Thank you, Jesus, this is only your work, Holy Spirit's work. And then I asked him, like, what are you experiencing right now? And he, he said, I feel power going through my leg. And I said, well, praise God, I've, I've got to go preach, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I had to get on. Well, it uh, turns out he was a Muslim imam that was there visiting the church because of all the, the work that was happening uh, out of the church. There was a, uh, ISIS had come into Syria and pushed out a million Syrians into Lebanon, and Lebanon had doubled in size because of that refugee situation. And this man was a, a Syrian imam who saw the, the open hearts and open hands of the church receiving people and, and refugees and taking care of them. He wanted to know about their God. And he did. And uh, so after the service, he, he grabbed me and he said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Muslim imam. Uh, my, my leg does not feel any pain right now. Uh, I have a friend of mine that I'd like for you to come and pray for. And so the next day, we were able to arrange a trip to this man's uh, little, little flat. Uh, and his friends, we, through a, a series of, uh, of other parts of the story, we went to his friend's flat and his friend's name was Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad. <laughs> and he was a Muslim, Muslim, Muslim. <laughs> and uh, he had fallen out of a tree picking cherries and had broken his back and was uh, paraplegic. Um, and because he was a, a refugee uh, in a unique situation, there, there was no medical care for him. And so he was facing, you know, potentially a lifetime of no, uh, not, no ability to use his legs and and he was laid out on, uh, on a little mat, and the pain was so bad that he was, he was just sweating profusely. And we started uh, to, to pray over him. And we had uh, uh, you know, a team that was there with us and an interpreter. Uh, Mo uh, Muhammad's wife was there, and then another gentleman was there. And this gentleman was an ISIS government official who had come over from Syria because Muhammad's wife had just passed away. And I didn't know that, but I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with... Uh, Muhammad, 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 and, and praying healing for him. And, uh, and in that time, in that exchange of praying and sharing the gospel, 
Uh, Muhammad receives the Lord as a savior, which is amazing. Um, at that time, we didn't see anything happen to him physically. However, within a day or so, or a short time thereafter, we don't know, I don't know the full details, uh, Muhammad uh, got up and walked and he was completely healed. And he made sure to tell our team that, that went there shortly thereafter that uh, it was after that prayer time that he was healed. And it was showing, the reason why I think that we weren't in the room when it happened was to show that it's not, it's not us as people that, that this happens through. It's always through the Holy Spirit and his work. But Muhammad got saved, and his wife started coming to church. And it was just incredible. And, and the power of God through the Holy Spirit was evident and was bringing in multitudes in that church in Lebanon. We were encountering people, about 50% of the people that we were meeting in Lebanon who were from Syria and from Iraq, they were encountering Jesus in dreams and visions and in healings. About 50% of them were. And so there was obviously a supernatural work of God that was happening, often without anybody there being present. Uh, obviously in dreams, no one's there except for the person. And, and it was just an incredible work. Well, some of the backstory is that prior to me approaching that man and praying for him, I had been on a flight, uh, and the whole flight over, it was at nighttime, I didn't sleep at all, and I was feeling very uncomfortable. Like, I was feeling like I shouldn't be going. I was feeling very insecure. We get to the hotel late at night, and I didn't sleep hardly at all throughout the whole night. And, and I had gone through several years' worth of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and, and insomnia, and yet the whole time pursued the Lord for not only healing, but just to experience his joy and peace and love in the midst of what was a very difficult suffering season for me. And the fruit of it ended up being that uh, for uh, a long time, for several months uh, and even years, there was uh, an, an unusual grace upon my life that I would pray for people and there would be, there'd be healings. And so, uh, and so that was an interesting, you know, for me, reflection. Like after this time period, there was healing that happened. And I want to talk to you about that today. We, we've been going through the letter of Hebrews. And, and we've been talking about the suffering of Jesus and how there's an invitation for us to suffer. And I think Matthew uh, shouted out a couple weeks ago, like, oh boy, you know, that's, that's a fun message. And, and I, if you all remember, I told you that it's actually for your glory. And, and we're getting to now how that is for your glory. Last week, I went into a bit of a, uh, of a, of a left turn to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's actually within the context of becoming like Jesus that I, I wanted to talk about that. And I'm going to parse that out a little bit more for us today and nuance that. Um, because the life that Jesus has for you and me is very much, if not exactly the life that he had for himself. And so let me pray, and then we'll get us going. <clears throat> Jesus, today is, is a day that you want to reveal yourself to your, your bride. It is your delight, your absolute delight to give us the kingdom. Your face is shining right now, Lord, upon your people right now. You have given them an option, a supernatural, heavenly option while living here on earth that is not available outside of knowing you, Jesus. And so today I ask that you'd make that option clear and that you would empower us to walk that out. And so even right now, Lord, stir us up because we do have ears to hear today. You are among us 
to give us the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. So what we're going to be getting at is going to form a bit of the backdrop, if you want to read ahead a little bit, to Hebrews 11 and 12. Uh, the, the saints of, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, and then the discipline of the Lord, uh, the backdrop of that is actually to receive glory. You know, the, the people at, at this point were just kind of enduring and huddled up, and the writer was, was encouraging them to be reminded of the power that they have available to them uh, as part of this. Um, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus has come back now from the resurrection, and he's talking to his disciples and he said, I, as I was sent into the world, so now I send you. Which is, if you think about it, astonishing. Jesus came from heaven, was sent from the Father, and experienced all that he experienced on the cross and all that went with it beforehand. And he experienced the, the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the course of his ministry. John also tells us in his first epistle, in chapter 4, 17, he says, as Jesus is right now, it's a present tense verb, as Jesus is right now, so are you in the world. So just as Jesus is sitting behind, beside the right hand of the Father with all authority in heaven on earth, so are you right now here on earth. So the, the point of these verses, and there's others that we can go into, is to show that Jesus is a Savior, and in addition to being a Savior, he's also our pattern. He's also our likeness. He's also the one that we are to become like and to walk with. And so as we, as we look to him, it's not simply for him saving us to get out of hell and jail. It's to see him as the example par excellence for our walk and who we are called to be. He, he is the model for our humanity. He is what it's like to truly be human. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that pattern. And the, the pattern that we're going to talk about, I'm just going to say it right from the very front, it's, uh, it's be filled with the Spirit and then be empowered by the Spirit. Uh, last week I talked about the baptism of the Spirit, and I'm, I'm now nuancing it to the two different infillings that the Scriptures talk about. And so there's be filled with the Spirit and be empowered by the Spirit. Those are two main things that we're going to go into today. And so if you wouldn't mind looking at Matthew chapter 3, and Luke chapter 4. So Matthew 3, 13. <clears throat> then Jesus came from Galilee. So he's walking around just like you and I would. He's got sandals on. He's got, you know, a fantastic robe, I'm sure. Uh, you know, if you've seen The Chosen, he probably looks a lot like that guy. Uh, he's walking around Galilee. And he comes to the Jordan River where John the Baptist had been baptizing people at that point. And he came to be baptized by John. Uh, John would have prevented this saying, uh, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. I'm not going to get into all that right now. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, that, that word is, this is a big deal. The heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold again, so this is a big, big deal. A voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so we, sit, we see in this right now that Jesus at this point was 
was filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to also go to Luke because Luke gives one more description of this that's really important. So go now to, if you wouldn't mind, uh, in Luke 4. And uh, look at that, verse 14. And, and begin now to see how Luke describes this because Luke describes this as being filled by the Holy Spirit. Luke verse 4, sorry. Elizabeth, would you mind grabbing my, or can I actually see your Bible real quick? Thank you. Sorry, my printer went down at home this morning because the internet was down, and so I, I didn't print out my notes. So Jesus returned, uh, sorry. Um, so in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. So that phrase right there I want to highlight to you. Luke was full of the Spirit after his baptism in the, in the Jordan River. And then the Spirit led him into the desert. And so Luke was a doctor, he's a physician, and he's very intentional about the language that he uses throughout this letter. And he says at this point that Jesus was full of the Spirit, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's tempted and tested, as you would read all the way through into verse 14 by the devil. And then after he was tested and tempted, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. This is an important distinction. So the first time he's, he comes full of the Spirit, as he comes out of the desert, he has the power of the Spirit upon him. And at this point in John chapter 2, he goes and does the, the miracle of Cana, where he turns the water into wine. So he shows that he has power over the elements. He begins to then cast out demons. He begins to heal the, the lepers, even raises the dead. But it wasn't until he came out of the desert that all this began to happen. And it wasn't until he came out of the desert with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a pattern here of two different things that were going on. There's the first thing that he gets filled by the Spirit, and then there's the second thing that he gets empowered by the Spirit. And I want to look now also then as this continues on, if you want to look in chapter 20 of John, and... We're going to look at what happens when Jesus appears to his disciples. In verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus again said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven, which is a pretty scary thing to say. But the point I'm trying to get at is that with the first thing that Jesus did when he sees his disciples, his buddies, those that he had left behind, is he breathes upon them the Holy Spirit and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. My peace I give to you. And so this is an internal recognition of the Holy Spirit and what it's like to be filled. That word peace in the Hebrew would have been shalom. It's just like this harmony. This, this now you can relax, kind of sit back. Peace, it's accomplished, it's finished. It's a subtleness. It's a, it's a rootedness. It's, it's this, this awareness that at any time I can experience no anxiety and no fear. It's, it's my peace I give to you. This is, what it's, this is what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I mentioned in uh, last week's message in Acts 18 that the apostles thought it was such a big deal to pass on this Holy Spirit that they would ask people as they came along that were following the way of God, the way of Jesus, and said, did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? And in, in chapter 18 and 19, people would say, no, we didn't know anything about that. And they were essentially saying, well, how can you know anything then about, about the Lord, you know, without being baptized in the Spirit, without being filled with the Spirit? And so here again, I'm, I'm going to nuance it a little bit so that there's, I'm going to call it two different fillings. But the first is what Jesus gives, which is what he received also when, when he was baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and then as he was resurrected, he comes to his disciples and he breathes on them, and they get filled with the Spirit. And so that, that internal life that Jesus now always had is, is your and my internal life. You and I get that now. When you receive Jesus, it's not simply that you get forgiven. It's that you get filled. It's that you, you get now the very life of Christ in you. And so if you've, if you've ever wondered, like, how is it that, that Jesus could be, uh, you know, at his trial, you know, up all night getting betrayed by his friends, getting beaten, you know, by the Jews, uh, getting slapped around and him turning to the guy that's slapping him and said, hey, if I've done anything to offend you, please let me know what that is. Otherwise, like, why are you hitting me? You know, he's, he's so calm and even killed. He, he's before Pilate after all these events and said, hey, I can, I can release your life right now. And, and Jesus would be quiet before Pilate. How could he remain so internally still? How could he remain so, at, you know, so buoyant, so joyful, so forgiving of all people? It's because he had the fullness of the Holy Spirit in him. It, it, it wasn't simply that, that he was God as man although that helped house the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's because he had the Holy Spirit in him and he was obedient to the Spirit and obedient to the Father uh, that he was able to walk out the salvation with such peace, with such grace. And I, I hope that actually gives you comfort because for, for you, you know, maybe you're like me, there's situations that you've been in where you wonder, like, I, I, how is it possible that I can in this situation be loving? How can I possibly be kind right now or, or gentle when that's what's calling for me. You know, I'm so tired, or I just feel so grumpy, or so many bad things have happened to me. I, I don't know if it's possible. Well, Jesus had that exact same, you know, temptation to doubt, maybe, to, to, to wonder if that was available to him, except that he had his Holy Spirit through his Father. And so he always lived by that Spirit, so he could always give grace. And so be filled with the Spirit is the uh, commendation to him. And then if you'd follow me into chapter... Uh, one of Acts, Jesus is talking to his disciples again before he's to be taken up. And he tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem until the Father comes. So in verse 4, he says, On one occasion while we were eating with him, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, which was the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a nuance here. At this point, these disciples had already been filled with the Spirit. And now he's saying that when my Father's gift comes, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So again, these are two different things that Jesus is talking about. In Acts 18, we talked about last week, there's two different things. There is the, the Spirit that fills you when you, are, uh, when you become a believer of Jesus Christ. Uh, you can't be born again from above unless you are born again from above. 
You can't make that happen. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Spirit calls you to be born again, you, you, you have the Spirit now within you. And yet you have to ask, obviously, for these things to, to, to come upon you. But then there's a second part of this. And in this case, it's waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would be my witness to bring forgiveness and salvation to the nations. And so in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, this is in verse 1 of chapter 2, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And, uh, and if you guys know the story, that a great crowd had gathered around because they heard a sound that was coming. And then these disciples, now baptized in the Spirit as it came upon them, began to speak in languages that were not their own. And people from all around the world were, were, were gathering now in this place. And they were hearing their own language spoken by these disciples, which is obviously, a, it's a miracle. It, it'd be amazing you know, to have that gift come upon our, our services at times. Like I've, I've heard of somebody that was, uh, you know, they were, they were speaking in, in tongues as the, God, as the Lord was giving it to them. And they were an American English speaking person. The person that they were praying for in the tongues was a Russian. And they were hearing in the Russian language the prayers of this man coming upon them. And, and that's, that's amazing. That's an example of this that, uh, that I know of you know, personally. And we see that this is for the purpose of revealing the glory of Jesus and who he was. And so in uh, verse 14, people are wondering, maybe, maybe these people were drunk or maybe what's going on. So Peter stands up out of the 11 disciples, apostles that were there, and he raised his voice saying, fellow Jews and all you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose, because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. By the way, uh, one of the great verses about whether or not women should be in ministry is exactly right here. The Spirit of God, for the purpose of prophecy, for the purpose of coming and the authority and power of God, comes upon women and men for the purpose of speaking the words of God. It's, it's the clearest, you know, if not more, uh, example of why women have every purpose to be in ministry and speaking the Word of God to anybody else. Uh, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, the purpose of the power now that's coming upon the church is for salvation. And so that these people would hear about Jesus, would hear about forgiveness, and turn and then receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's for the, the power that is out there. Remember, Jesus is the, 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 the pattern of your own life, and he exemplified this first. And uh, to me, the, the life of Jesus is quite exciting. You know, he, he got to, to go and, and set people free of demonic oppression. Uh, when he was full of the Spirit, he would speak, and his words would pierce a spirit and life, the souls of people. And they would 
hear for the first time the words of God and respond with love and adoration for our Father. They would have the, the scales and the shackles fall off their eyes because the power of the Spirit was upon them. He would go and lay hands on somebody and they would come up and they would be healed. Uh, like Muhammad, that the power of God came upon that man. He got healed, he got saved. And now he has eternal life. Uh, like was a, a massive move of the Spirit that was happening in Lebanon at that time where there were dreams and visions of people that were going on. That's the power and that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And you have that also within you as something that you can grab a hold of and grasp. You have the capacity, because you're just like Jesus now, to walk that same life out. One of the things that's important about this is the distinction between what Joel prophesied and what actually happened in Acts chapter 2. So, so Peter, he's standing up, and he's trying to make sense of the, the, the clamor, the tongues of fire, and the strange tongues that people were speaking and, and, and their joy that was overflowing. And he points to Joel chapter 2. And he's like, what Joel prophesied is happening right now. All right, well, in Joel, uh, just let me read it again. You, you tell me, is this actually what's happening at that moment? I will show you, uh, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Uh, were people prophesying in that moment in Acts chapter 2? They, they actually weren't. They, they were speaking in tongues. They were declaring the word of God, which some might argue is prophecy. Um, and, and so I'll, I can give you that. But they weren't like declaring the future about certain things. Um, were they having dreams at that time? Well, no. Uh, were they having visions? It, it's not listed in Acts chapter 2. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Was that happening at that time? No. What was happening was a sound from heaven that all the people in Jerusalem were drawn to, that a sound like a rushing wind came into the upper room of the disciples. Joel doesn't list a sound like heaven coming, that sound like winds coming. There was also tongues of fire that were resting upon the people, but Joel didn't mention tongues of fire resting on people. And yet Peter is saying, but this is what Joel's talking about. If you've been trained in exegesis like I have, you're, you're looking for, in the Old Testament, you know, the exact verses that would be a direct quote to help define what's happening here. And this is bad exegesis. This is bad hermeneutics according to a lot of the ways that we learn exegesis in seminary. This isn't like a word-for-word -word translation. How is it that Peter is able to say, this is what's happening and Joel is happening right here when there's two different things that are happening going on? The point is, when the Spirit points, uh, pours out, it's going to be somewhat different than what you expect. When the Holy Spirit is actually moving, it's going to be a new thing. It's going to be a different thing than what you were exactly planning on. Uh, there, there's a form of literature called apocalyptic literature, which is a type of prophetic literature that Joel was writing from. This apocalyptic didn't exactly know what historically was happening in its precise form. And so they kind of let go of the precise nature of what was happening on the ground and say, well, it's kind of like this. And the point of it was to set in the imagination of the people that, hey, all things are possible with God. And, and all things are possible in the sense that he's good, that he's going to be saving you, that he's going to be powerful. And it was to set the imagination up for people, but without giving precision so that God could be free to work as he, as he needs to in that moment to fit into that cultural situation. 
And so, for instance, later on when the Spirit poured out in, uh, in France, in Italy, under St. Francis of Assisi, St. Francis, he, he had wealth and power, and he gave it all up. He literally took off all his clothes and gave up all of his money, and the Spirit of God poured upon him and upon all those that with, went with him in holy laughter and prophecy and tongues that were going on and in generous giving to the point where they remained poor as a group. They wanted to. Um, but that would be a, like a stone, a stone skipping. That would be the same prophetic word that Joel spoke because it's, it's for the end of days and we are in the end of days and continuously in the end of days. And this is a new form of what it looked like. You know, it was, it was similar to Acts 2 and it was similar to Joel 2, but it wasn't the same. And so when the Spirit pours out in your life and my life, we should have open hands as to how it's going to look. It's going to look different than you might expect. It might be more messy than you expect. It might be different than what's happening across the street or different than what happened 100 years ago. And, and the point of all this is that when the Spirit's moving, it's to keep ourselves a little bit limber for when the baptism comes upon you. I'm saying this because I believe this, the Spirit is coming to us. Uh, not just to us as a church, but to, to our nation in a greater way. It's already happening in some places. And I want us to be a little bit loose in the saddle, a little bit limber for how it's going to come, for the purpose of going out. One of my great concerns is that, that I see the church huddling up in, in a remnant theology. They're, they're, they're huddling up as if, as if they're the last ones, that they're huddling up afraid. They're huddling up uh, afraid that, that culture is going to overtake them. They're, they're becoming smaller. They're becoming less confident. They're becoming less and less courageous to go out and boldly go out in the, in the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's as if they're, they're waiting in catacombs when they're called to bring gardens into graves. They're called to transform graves into gardens. That, that's the call of you, and that's the call of the church. We aren't called to be huddled up, waiting always in an upper room, waiting always against culture. We are called to be those who go out as victorious ones. The church has more authority than any government on earth. We have more power than any other government on earth. We have more power than any nuclear bomb. We have the one who can raise the people that died from a nuclear bomb. We have those who are able to offer eternal salvation. We, we are those who are able to help those who would be dying to have eternal life. It's us who has a great authority, but it's also on us to receive the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And in teachings like this, I, I normally kind of hear it go to, now let's go and pray and make sure that we've got the Holy Spirit in power. And so I want to talk about the link that I believe is there between the two. And that is the link that I've been talking about in Hebrews 2 of suffering. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mentioned before that I believe this is a, uh, a call of the church in this hour to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's for your glory. So let's look again at the pattern of Jesus. So we see that he goes and he's baptized and filled with the Spirit. Before he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, what happens? Where does he go? He goes in the desert for 40 days, right? And there in the desert, he, he, he elects not to take the fine dining that is available to him in the desert. And, and declines, declines eating the, the lizards and the locusts and, and whatever else might be out there. Um, he fasts for 40 days. And then he's tempted by the desert, the, 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 the desert. He's tempted by the devil 
in the desert in every way that you and I could possibly be tempted. And it's culminated in the, the three main temptations that the devil, uh, that we see recorded. Um, those recordings are, I believe, you know, uh, just a few of all that Jesus had to suffer at that time. But the point is that he suffered. And, and you and I, if we're hungry and someone comes to us and says, hey, before your time, uh, take this stone, make it into uh, some bread so that you can eat. I think, I think we would be tempted like Jesus would be to, to eat. We, we, would want, we would want that. Uh, think about all the things that go through your mind when you're hungry. Um, th- think about like if you had, for instance, a, a business meeting uh, the next day and you were going to not eat the day before, you might be tempted to think, well, I'm not going to be at my best. Yeah, you, you might be tempted, well, it's a, it's a sales meeting. It's important. I, I put on my face, my, my best face for my company. I want to make sure that this project goes well. I want to make sure that I'm able to be efficient and powerful. I want to be smart and all that stuff. That would normally go through our minds if we're going to intentionally starve ourselves for the sake of whatever Jesus might be calling us into. And so if someone to say, hey, it's okay, you know, like take this food. You know, of course you want to better your company. You want to better your family. You want to provide for them. You want to make sure that you've got what it takes, that you're not leaving anyone else in the lurch or anyone else lacking. You want to, have your, you want to put your best foot forward. You want to be your best. Jesus says in that, as a model of our life, uh, you know, no, absolutely not. And, and instead, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Holy Spirit, he, he's only going to sustain himself in the Holy Spirit, by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, which is the Spirit. And so he's learning in the midst of suffering how to depend upon the Spirit for that work, which is what we were talking about these last weeks. You have been equipped to do that. You have what it takes to choose to receive the Holy Spirit and His grace whenever you need it for anything in the midst of suffering. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 that if you suffer, it is for the sake of being comforted by the Holy Spirit. And so think of it like, you know, anything that you suffer in this life, anything at all that afflicts you, anything, he says, if you do, it is for the purpose of receiving comfort. Everything in life. And, and he's, again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So everything that you've ever been through, everything that you're going to go through, and we're all going to be afflicted in this life, all the different forms, the purpose of it is so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, Paul does in 2 Corinthians 1, and it's not only for you. It's for others as well. The comfort that you receive, it's not just for you to keep in, but it's to give to another person. And so whatever you've gone through in life now becomes a testimony of what God can give to you through his Holy Spirit, through what you've gone through. And so again, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you is for the sake of salvation. It's for the sake of revealing Jesus, for the sake of missions. And so... Your suffering, if I can put it like this, is for the sake of missions. Your suffering is for the sake of salvation for others. As, as believers now. You know, before, if you're suffering, just go complain. You know, and create a, a, a victim culture. You know, and, and enable one another to feel like you're victims. And, and, and you're just going to huddle up and, and normalize suffering as just something that you have to walk through in this earth. But it's no, there's no purpose behind that. You know, we, we've, we've grown accustomed to a victim culture in, in the political world of, of people normalizing victimization and then wanting to, wanting to help victims not by getting out of their victimhood, but by actually keeping them there and blessing them while they're still, still in that place. 
Whereas if you're kingdom born, you receive comfort not to stay a victim, not to stay injured, and not to stay in those ways, but to be able to come out of it, empowered to help others come out of it. This is what it means to be a priest. You're born again from above with heavenly seed to experience life here on this earth, not being of it any longer, so that you can receive from heaven what you need in the midst of what you're going through here on earth, so that you can save those who are still stuck in the mud on earth. You know, we all get stuck sometimes. And, and maybe the word that you need to get unstuck is, is from a believer that, you know, you have no idea their story. But in getting into their story, you find that they've been through something that is similar to that. And they've received from the Lord something that got them by. And this becomes the power of testimony. It becomes the power of community. But it comes something that you are called to steward and called to receive as you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you, if you haven't yet known the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then... I would, I would put it out there to you a little bit that there is a fullness of life that you're missing out on right now. Uh, in the, the, the Last Supper discourse, Jesus talks about your joy being full as you take the words that he gives you, which is the fullness of the Spirit, and then also do the works that he did, which is the, the, the fullness of the Spirit, uh, the power of the Spirit being lived out. And so again, it's this pattern. You, know, you, you need to live and abide in him, and then you receive his presence. But then also, as you do those works, your joy will be full. And so in the same way that, you know, if I'm hanging out with Elizabeth and, uh, and I have love for her and I express that love to her and she doesn't express it back, then, then my love isn't yet fulfilled. It's, it's there inside of me, but it's not complete until the other receives it and returns it. In a similar kind of way, if I am living this life and I have all of God within me, but I'm not living it out as Jesus did, and, and therefore not seeing those other people that we're connected with in family grow in fullness, then I'm also missing out on joy. And this is why I think the church by and large has become depressed. That the you know, rates of depression and anxiety in the church at large largely aren't too different than they are in the, the church at large. Now, incidentally, the, the main study, one of the main studies that came out after COVID was that those who remained in community their depression levels, anxiety levels didn't change. They remained peaceful, they remained joyful, because in the context of community, you do have you know, the spirit to offer one another, um, which is a fun little caveat there. So the point is that once you have this within you, the spirit, uh, it's, it's to share. It's to, it's to give it away and to enjoy that within one another. And so as a, as a church, we don't want to be those who are um, huddled up. And one of the reasons why I believe that we are on the verge of, not just in this personal body, but also in the nation, uh, a, a large outpouring of the Spirit is because the, the church is hiding a little bit in catacombs. They, they have forgotten their calling to turn those graves literally into gardens. Jesus, after he came out of the grave, he was mistaken for a gardener. I mean, he, he, was, he was returning Eden back to the place of the catacomb. So he, he took out of the wilderness, out, out of the place of death, and made it into a place of living waters. That's your call. Your call is actually to find where there's a place of death at work in your own life. And, and stick your face in the middle of it. That shines. It says, Jesus, what do you say in this? I want to see your glory. I want to see your light in the midst of this darkness. And, and life, man, it's going to throw so many wonderful things at you that, that show you where death is trying to get into your life a little bit, try to, try to be at work. And the Father loves to see how you overcome that. 
Father loves to give you everything you need to overcome those things. He's given you his spirit. And so I'm, I'm also uh, going to be suggesting that you all uh, help us out with that a bit. In, uh, in these next weeks, we are pursuing this intentionally. Now, I want us on Friday, uh, actually starting Thursday night, uh, I want us to fast the whole day together. I want us as a body to uh, start around, you know, after your mealtime on Thursday night uh, to, to begin a fast, and then you can break it with mealtime on Friday night. Uh, again, as you would like to. You don't have to do this. Um, I, I'm, I'm asking that you do it. Uh, I'm calling for a corporate fast that we can, uh, we can pursue the Lord together as we do this. And uh, fasting in the scriptures is fasting from food. There's no such thing as a Daniel fast. <laughs> Daniel, he, he, he was adhering to the, the dietary laws. Uh, he wasn't fasting. He was just trying to live as a good Jew would in the midst of Babylon and to show himself different and holy than the pagan culture around him that ate meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so uh, bless you if, you if you consider that a fast. Uh, you know, that's between you and the Lord. It's not in the scripture. <laughs> And so uh, I'm, I'm calling you all to, uh, to a, a fast uh, from food. Um, again, if you have medical reasons, uh, you can check it out with your doctor. I'm going to put on Slack some uh, guidelines that will help you to fast. Um, and then we'll feast on Friday night. You can feast at your home, gather together if you want to. But I would ask that during that 24-hour time period, you seek the Lord. Uh, fasting isn't strong-arming God to, to make sure that he gives you what you want. Uh, fasting is depriving your natural senses so that you can become more sensitive to your spiritual senses. Uh, so fasting brings clarity. It, it doesn't make God do what you want. It helps you to hear him better. It, it helps focus what you really have on your heart. Uh, on that trip to Lebanon those years ago, in the midst of the sleep deprivation and the physical stuff I was going through and all the spiritual you know, bananas that were hanging out. Um, what became really clear was I love Jesus and I love those Lebanese people and the Syrians. I, I had a love for them. That, that became really clear. As we go through different forms of suffering, that is ultimately the choice before you. Do you, do you really love the Lord? Um, and I'm not trying to cause it to become like a, some big test that you had to fail. Because there has been times where I've looked at the Lord in the midst of suffering and be like, I don't like you very much right now, God. <laughs> and it was actually to show that. You know, at, at times, you know, hey, am I, am I worth it to you to you know, go with this, go through this experience in faith with me, in love with me? And sometimes I'm like, not right now. You know, and, and I'm not trying to cop out and I'm trying to say I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm just being honest with the Lord. Um, and he is shepherding you and I to find those places where we don't yet trust him so that he can reveal that he's trustworthy there. It's only for the purpose of revealing faith within you. Any, any difficulty, any affliction is for the purpose of receiving comfort. And so you, you guys have before you an amazing adventure, if you're willing to take it. Everything that Jesus went through, he went through with you and he went through as you so that he could be the pattern for you. So that you are called into these dark places of your own soul, so that you can go into the dark places of our culture. Uh, there is a there, there is a a lost church out there. There's also a, a lost city out there behind us, 
that they don't know when they go to sleep at night the peace that you have when your head hits the pillow. And so at times you're called to go into the inner darkness of anxiety so that you can find peace, so that when you talk to that person across the street from you or at work or wherever it might be, and they've gone through something difficult, you can say to them, I know what that's like. Let me tell you how Jesus satisfied that in me. And you can say it with authority because you've been through it before. Jesus has been through it with you and for you already. And so you have every reason to go after that darkness, uh, like one who's zealous for the Lord's kingdom. And, and, and you are called into that place of courage. You're called to be those who are not afraid. You're called to bring those who save those, no matter what the cost is of your own life. Who cares if you lose everything in this life? You've already gained the whole world in Jesus. You've gained everything you would ever want eternally in him. You have nothing to lose by pursuing these things. If you obey God when he's calling you into something, it's a guarantee that he's going to give results that glorify him, no matter what it looks like to you. Because when the spirit moves, you don't know what it's going to look like. Hudson Taylor, who helped found the Chinese Inland Mission and uh, is famous uh, back in the 1800s, 1850s or so, uh, for his dedication to the Lord, he went out there, and at the end of his life, there were 1,634 missionaries that he had helped bring to China. And since then, because there's over 200 million Chinese, the Chinese will tell you that it's through Hudson Taylor that there's 200 million Chinese Christians that are there now, which is astonishing. There's more Chinese Christians potentially now than here in the U.S., Hudson Taylor, he did not see, I think, any converts for many, many years. He went through hardship after hardship after hardship, but he kept pursuing the Lord. And after a time, there was a breakthrough in his own life. And as a result of that, there's now such fruit. But it didn't look like he would have thought it would have looked. It didn't look like Acts chapter 2. And for us as a church, I'm not saying that when the Spirit pours out, it's going to look like Azusa Street, or it's going to look like St. Francis, or it's going to look like Hudson Taylor. I have no idea what's going to happen. But I want us to be ready, and I want us to be courageous to seek after him for this. And so next Thursday, Friday, I want to ask that you seek the Lord for his power for our church and for your life. I want to ask that you would seek him for the, the infilling of the Spirit afresh. Um, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon the church. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, James and Peter, or sorry, Peter and John, they, they heal the man in the temple and then they are beaten and sent into uh, a quasi-courtroom you know, courtroom prison uh, for what they did, and they suffered. And then in Acts chapter 4, they got together with the church again. They celebrated their suffering. They asked for more of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit poured out again upon them and filled the church again, and it shook the ground. So the pattern is there. Be filled, suffer, be empowered. Be filled, <laughs> suffer, be empowered. And I also want to encourage you that whatever you're going through now, if you seek it after with the Lord in this, it's for the sake of those who are around you. And so if you're suffering, expect the Lord to move on your behalf, powerfully in those to whom you love. That which they lack, you sometimes go through in your own bodies. That's, what, that's a quote from Paul. And so don't be surprised at times at your own suffering. Even if it's complacency, even if it's bitterness, even if it's cynicism, even if it's doubt, don't be surprised by it. Because there's doubters outside. There's cynics out there. There's bitterness in the church. You may be going through bitterness about the church and injuries from the past and your own cynicism about what the church is supposed to be like so that you get the comfort from the Lord about what it's supposed to be like and then give it to the church. That's why you're called here in part to help give vision to this body through what you've gone through in the past. That's who you're called to be in this place. And I want to assure you from the scriptures that you don't do it without purpose. Every one of you have gone through stuff 
And if you ask the Lord to open your eyes to what you have received, it is for the sake of another that you've gone through it, not just for yourself. And that's what love does. How does that sound? I said last week that one of the things that the Lord is, has been encouraging me to is to speak less. Today I felt like he wanted me to speak more. 